wife and I count it a privilege to be with you this morning and our counseling team. Thank you so much for the invitation uh, to join you this morning. I'd like for you to take your little outline that you have in your bulletin. We'll be following that in a few minutes uh, as we get into our message. This morning I would like to talk about uh, a unique part of our body called the heart. It's interesting, the Bible refers to the heart some 210 times in the New Testament and some 600 times in the Old Testament. When you think of the heart, you normally think of the organ in our body that we often think uh, of as very vital to our life. If our heart's not pumping, we're in trouble. But I'd like to focus on another aspect of our heart. The Hebrew word for heart is actually the bowels, but in our American culture, the center of the emotional part of one's being is the heart. And I'd like to focus on the importance of the heart. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. <clears throat> in this passage, Solomon emphasizes the fact that keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Literally, the Hebrew says, above all that is kept, keep your heart. In the last 40 years that I've been involved in ministry, the heart has been neglected, played down, not valued. But the heart is probably the most important part of who we are. In my counseling office, I have the privilege of sitting there with couples each week. And for 16 years, I've been full-time after my wife and I resigned our last pastoral ministry. I've sat each week with a couple couples one in the morning and one in the afternoon for five days, 15 hours. And on Monday, when you ask a couple, tell me about what you're struggling with in your marriage, they'll say, we're fine. We don't have any problems. But when you start focusing in the heart of a person, you start asking them, what's actually happening inside your heart? And you begin caring about what they're struggling with inside. All of a sudden, by Wednesday, you hear a different story. I'm struggling. I've been rejected all of my life. No one has ever valued me. No one even wants me around. By Wednesday, you hear stories like, emotionally, when I was 12 years of, old, 12 years of age, my brother died. And I've never gotten over that. And inside, I cry every day because I miss my brother who died years ago. Or... An individual will say, I'm struggling. No one ever valued me or gave me attention. And all of my life, I wish someone would have cared about my heart, but no one has ever cared for me. When you focus on a person's heart, you begin to understand what's really going on inside. And often what you find inside a person's heart is something that you never see in church because people don't stand up in church and say, I'm struggling, I've never gotten attention, or I'm struggling, I've felt rejected all of my life. 
I've come to the conclusion over the last few years that every person has a core emotional need inside their heart, a longing for something. It's usually tied to a core emotional pain that they've experienced. And I found in the counseling that I've done over the years that every person has a core emotional pain issue that needs to be cared for and understood and healed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Every person has a core emotional need that's tied to that. And when you start understanding that core emotional need and you start ministering to that core emotional need, that person starts responding and their heart starts to open up. I often have the privilege of sitting in my office and we focus on the heart of an individual and ask questions directed to their heart. And you often find that some people have been so damaged that their heart has died. Other people, because of the pain of their life, have detached their hearts and their hearts no longer connect. Other individuals have had damage to their hearts and they can't respond to love. Now, it's one thing to ask a person a question, what's going on in your life? And most of us will say we're fine. But if you ask a person what's actually happening and you start caring about the issues they're struggling with inside their heart, often they are fearful to open their heart for fear that you're going to reject them. At Caring for the Heart Ministries, our goal is to understand and accept people right where they are and seek to care about what they're struggling within their heart. And from that, to be able to lead them to Jesus to actually resolve the issues inside their heart that they're struggling with. It's interesting, often people have been so damaged they can't respond to love, they can't give love, they can't receive love. And emotionally they have a wall up and that wall that they have up blocks them from relationship. Often when I'm talking with a couple, I find that there are four key issues in a marriage relationship that need to be understood. Can a husband emotionally connect to care about his wife? Can he understand and connect emotionally with her? If he can connect to care about her, can she take it in and respond to feeling that emotional connection? The third question is, can a wife emotionally respond to connect to care about her husband, and can he take love in? In a marriage relationship, I look at those four issues to find out, is a couple responding and understanding and caring about each other's hearts and uh, are they experiencing oneness in their relationship many times because the heart is damaged they can't respond and they can't love or they've been damaged and they can't respond to being loved and so they put up a wall blocking the relationship I often ask the question, what kind of wall do you have up? Some individuals will say, I have a steel wall 12 inches thick and no one's ever going to get in. That's what one lady said. She had had that wall since she was 12. Another individual said, I have a three foot 
cement wall and no one's ever going to get close to my heart. Now, when you start asking questions directed to a person's heart, you begin to find out what's actually happening inside that person's heart, and you begin to understand why they built walls. Whenever a person builds walls in their lives, there's always a reason. There's always pain. And they have put a wall up blocking others from ever damaging them again. When you begin working through those issues, the walls come down and all of a sudden two people begin to emotionally connect in a relationship with each other. In counseling, I have found that no change can ever take place unless you're focused on the heart. So if I'm dealing with, a, for example, a husband who has an anger problem, it doesn't do any good for me to tell him, why don't you stop being angry? They already know they shouldn't be angry. So for me to say, quit being angry intellectually doesn't change anything. You have to go to their heart and understand what has happened in their heart. How have they been damaged? Why are they angry? So I identify anger as a problem and I go to find out the cause of that anger. And once I identify the cause, I go to their heart to find out what actually happened to them that created that anger. Uh, recently, I had a man come into my office and he says, I just curse. I can't stop cursing. I curse all the time. And inside, I curse way more than anyone ever hears me cursing on the outside. And I said, cursing is not the core problem. That's what's happening because that's coming out of your mouth, but something is wrong in your heart. And we had to go and find the cause of that, why he was emotionally damaged, why that anger was in his heart. And once we identified the core cause of that and led him in a prayer to resolve that, uh, he was able to stop cursing. Let's look at some of the passages in the Bible that talk about love. In Mark chapter 12, Verse 30, we're to love God with all of our heart. We're to be able to respond in appreciation and love for God. In Matthew 22, 37, we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, with every part of our being. It's interesting that the Bible constantly focuses on our response of our heart to God that our heart would be right with God, that our heart would be in tune with God, receptive, responsive to God. We're going to talk about that in a minute. What areas of our heart does God evaluate? When God looks at our heart, he evaluates four things. He evaluates our attitudes, our motives, our desires, our goals. These areas are part of our heart and God desires that our attitude be genuine, that our motives be proper, that our desires be proper, and that our goals for the future would honor him. What areas or what attitudes of the heart demonstrates a responsiveness to God? It's interesting that the Bible defines seven areas of the heart that uh, he enjoys seeing us respond to. First of all, he enjoys an open, honest heart. 
God wants us to be totally transparent with him, to be honest with him with what's happening inside. When we're open to God and allow him to see every aspect of our heart, uh, he can change anything he wants to change. He can use the word of God to resolve issues within our heart. The second attitude of the heart is a moldable or a pliable heart, something that God can change. I often ask people, draw me a picture of your heart. And some people say, it's hard as a rock because of what's happened in my life. I don't let anybody change me. My heart has never, ever changed. Instead of a moldable, pliable heart, it's a hard heart um, because of a lack of ability to respond. The third type of heart is a tender heart. A tender heart is one that God can change. He can mold. He can um, focus it properly. A soft heart. The fourth heart that the Bible talks about is a submissive heart. A submissive heart is one that's responding to God's desire and will. It's interesting when you have a submissive husband and a submissive wife, they don't have conflicts. But if you have a dominant husband with a submissive wife, he can make all the decisions and she's frustrated with that. But if you have two submissive people, based on Ephesians 4, where it says, submitting one to another out of respect for God, you have two people that can work through all the decisions in life and be in harmony with each other because they submit to one another. When you and I are submissive to God's will with our heart, what happens is whatever God wants us to change, we're able to submit and respond to his will. The fifth is a humble heart uh, where you and I humble ourselves and respond. Psalms 51.17 talks about a broken and a contrite heart. God will not despise. God loves it when we have a humble heart. I've often said when you have two people get married and they're both self-focused, prideful, which is the opposite of humility, he says it has to be about me. She says it has to be about me. You're going to have conflict and loss of communication within the first two weeks of marriage. But when you have two humble people saying, I want to understand your heart. I'm not going to make a decision without understanding how you feel about this. What happens is you have two people having fun in a relationship because they've learned to humble themselves with each other. So in our relationship with God, we respond in humility to him and submission to him. In response to our wife, we're humble and responsive. What happens is we can enjoy life because there's not conflict, because we're working through issues as God would design us to. The sixth is an obedient heart. Ephesians 6.6 6 says, doing the will of God from the heart. Desiring to obey whatever God designs for us or desires of us. Being responsive to him in obedience uh, produces joy in our heart. The seventh is an, a genuine heart. 
A genuine heart is one that's transparent, that's open. Now, it's interesting in a relationship with God, when we're genuine with him, when we're transparent, God can change or expose anything in our lives, and you and I are willing to allow him to work in our hearts. When you have two people in a marriage that are open and genuine with each other, a relationship can be fun. But when you have two people who have hidden their hearts because of pain and won't let anyone in, what happens is those two hearts um, are like two people living in the same house, but they never get connected with each other. So I'd like for you just to look at this list of seven. Do I have a relationship with God where my heart is open, moldable, tender, submissive, humble, obedient, genuine? Do I have a relationship in my marriage where these seven qualities are being demonstrated? Because if our heart is open and responsive, we're going to experience fulfillment. But if our heart has been damaged and we have built walls in our relationship and we're blocking relationship and there's anger and there's defiance, or there's self-focus, pride, what happens is those relationships break down. And what happens is two people will emotionally distance themselves from each other in a marriage relationship because of the pain that they experience in relationship. When you study what the Bible says about the heart, it's interesting. <clears throat> the heart is where everything resides. Everything is in our heart. Matthew 15, 18 says, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. Um, in Matthew 12, 34, it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever comes out of our mouth has its source in our heart. If something's wrong with our heart, it's going to come out in what we say. Secondly, our actions will demonstrate what's in our heart. Matthew 12, 35, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. Whatever is in a person's heart will eventually come out in actions or in what a person says. So in counseling, when I see a person, for example, who's got anger and Anger's coming out, something's wrong with the heart. So rather than saying, why don't you stop being angry? Why don't you stop cursing? I don't say that. I say something went wrong. At some point, anger came in your heart because of something you experienced. Let's go look to see what happened in your heart. And let's resolve that through prayer. Now, the interesting thing is only God can change the heart. I, as a counselor, cannot change a person's heart. But in prayer, I can lead a person to Jesus and allow Jesus to change a heart that's been emotionally damaged, that's now producing anger or a mouth that's cursing. That can be changed by the Lord Jesus Christ as I lead a person to him. In Matthew 6.21, it says, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
our central focus will demonstrate where our heart is. A person that's focused on temporal things rather than relationship will constantly be thinking about getting new things, getting more things. And so if a person is constantly focusing on purchasing something, wanting more, their heart is focused on temporal values. If a person's heart is focused on anger toward people who have taken advantage of them, they're always going to be scared someone's going to take advantage of them. Wherever your heart is focused on, that's where, or whatever your external focus is, that's where your heart is. So if a person is focused on pornography, something has happened in their heart that has damaged them where their fulfillment comes through pornography. This week I'm going to be sharing two sessions on Wednesday and Thursday in which I'm going to define why people are depressed. If a person's depressed, there's always a reason and you have to go and find what caused that. For example, if a person was emotionally neglected as a child, that's a source of why they're depressed. They never got attention as a child. If a person was criticized as a child, that can be another cause for why they're depressed. If a person was not valued or not cherished as a child, that can be another source of depression. Now, 95% of depression could be cured if we were able to focus on a person's heart and understand their pain and lead them to Jesus to resolve that pain and we found a spouse or a friend who was able to care about that pain. Uh, I carried a 20-year depression from 15 to 35 years of age. I didn't understand why I was depressed, but it was because of my bitterness toward my father who stepped on four pain issues in my life that created the depression. I didn't understand initially, but I forgave my father and lost my depression. But later I began to realize there were other emotional issues that never got met in my heart that had established that depression in my heart. My favorite thing to do in my office is to take a 99% depressed person and see if I can knock off their depression in five days. That's my favorite thing to do. I love it. Because what I have to do is I have to define, let's say we have a person with 95% depression, I have to define what's caused that and there's usually three to four issues of pain that a person has experienced that damaged their heart. Once I define that, I lead them in a prayer with those three to four issues and disconnect that pain. Then I get a spouse, because I just do marriages, to care about that pain every 12 hours for the rest of their life. What happens is if they stay consistent caring about each other's hearts, that person will lose their pain of depression. And a wife who's depressed at 95% will start smiling in a way she's never smiled before. It's fun watching that. And um, we've had the privilege of seeing a lot of Amish individuals and conservative Mennonites 
who have a severe problem with depression because of a cultural problem come to freedom and uh, it's neat to see what God's done in their lives. So I'd like to focus our attention on whatever's in the heart of a person is going to come out in how they respond. So if a person's depressed, something's wrong with their heart. And we have to figure out what's happening in their heart. And we have to understand and care about that issue in their heart. Let's go to a second issue. The Bible talks about all sin begins in the heart. And there are three passages of Scripture in Matthew 5, 28, Matthew 15, 18, and Mark 7, 15 to 23. Jesus says in each of these passages that out of the heart comes these issues of adultery, hypocrisy, evil thoughts, thoughts of murder, fornication, stealing, blasphemy, covetousness, deceit, pride, foolishness. In those three passages, Jesus says all of these sin issues come out of the heart. Now, we have a philosophy in our office that goes something like this. If a person has thoughts of murdering someone, that came from somewhere. If a person has thoughts... Um, of stealing or immoral thoughts that came from somewhere. So this week on Thursday, I have a session in the morning in which I'm going to define if a person has an addiction to pornography, let's say for 20 years, I have to find what caused that. What I'm finding in my counseling is people who have an addiction to, let's say, pornography or adultery or any of these moral issues, there's an emotional need that was never met. And when they were children, those needs got connected to that particular sin. So let's say you have a boy who was raised in a home where his parents rejected him and emotionally neglected him. And one day, he accidentally sees a piece of pornography. That need for love gets connected to that pornography, and what happens is every time he's lonely, feels neglected, doesn't feel loved, he has to have pornography within five minutes. But now he's 30 years of age. It started when he was 10. He's 30 years of age, and he's sitting in my office, and he says, I'm struggling with pornography. What I found was that need for pornography is tied to an emotional pain. Unless you understand that emotional pain issue and resolve that pain issue, he's always going to struggle with pornography. But if you understand the pain issue and you resolve that pain issue, and you lead a person in a prayer, they will lose interest in pornography. So I deal with the emotional pain issue first, then we confess the moral issue, and I connect them in their marriage, and what happens is the individual no longer desires pornography. It's a three-step process, but it involves understanding a person's emotional pain, what they never received, and understanding that and caring about that. I'd like to go back to Wichita, Kansas. A man calls me from Wichita and says, John, I have a problem with homosexuality. Can you help me? 
I've been married for 30 years, and all of my marriage, I've never desired my wife. I've only desired other men. So I scheduled him into my office, and he came into my office, and I went to look for his emotional pain. When he was a child, his father and mother worked full-time and didn't have any time for them, so he was emotionally neglected. His grandparents never took time for him, but what happened was every summer he went to visit his grandparents' home, and he stayed with them for three three months every summer. While he was there, his uncle, who was a single man, would show him how to drive a tractor, show him how to mow the hay, show him how to bale the hay, show him everything about farming, and he looked forward every summer to be on the farm with his uncle. At the age of nine, his uncle began sexually abusing him at night, causing him to begin to have these homosexual desires. So the pattern fit that I just described. No love from his parents or grandparents. Then somebody loves him and he gives his heart to his uncle. But that uncle is going to cross lines morally, causing him to be aroused. So every time he's lonely, he's looking for a man to be involved with homosexually with a result that now he's 30 years married, he's 50 years of age, and he's had homosexual desires from age 9 to age 50, and he's never desired his wife. But the problem is, the problem is an emotional issue that never got resolved at age, before age 9. When I led him in a prayer to disconnect that, then I helped him resolve the issue of his moral issues. And he confessed each of these moral issues, his desire for homosexuality left. And it still isn't back. And that's been two years ago. I've had three homosexual men. In fact, the third wife is writing a book of her experiences living 23 years with a homosexual man and coming to free, with him coming to freedom. And I'm anxious for the book to get done. It's almost completed. And then it'll be printed and you'll see it on our website if you're interested in but I use the same method with her husband to resolve his homosexual desires you see sin begins in the heart so if you want to resolve moral sin or any sin you have to go to the heart of a person to identify what that issue is and help them resolve it inside their heart there are four attitudes of the heart that displease God and I'd like to share them The first is a calloused heart. Uh, A calloused heart is a heart that's got calluses on the outside that's hardened on the outside and you can't penetrate it. I've had lots of wives say, I can't get into my husband's heart. He won't let me in. Um, Nobody gets in to that person's heart. Why? Because it's been damaged and it's calloused. In Matthew 13:15, Jesus said, For this people's heart has become calloused, and their ears don't hear and their eyes don't see. They don't perceive or understand. They, they're unresponsive because of the calloused heart. The second kind of heart is a sinful heart. Matthew 15:19, Out of the heart proceeds, and it lists a number of sins. A sinful heart. The third kind of heart is a hard, unrepentant heart. 
Uh, Hebrews 3.8 talks about harden not your hearts as the Israelites did in the wilderness. Uh, Romans 2.5 talks about hard, unrepentant hearts. It's a heart that because of sin or because of pain emotionally has put up a wall and has become hardened. I remember two ladies coming into my office and I asked them, would you draw me a picture of your heart? And they said, my heart is hard like a rock and no one is ever going to get to it. I asked them, why is your heart hard like a rock? If you would have experienced what I experienced as a child, you would have a rock hard heart as well. Now, a hardened heart can either become come as a result of sin practiced over a period of time or it can come because of emotional pain from one's background. The fourth is a hypocritical heart. It's a pretending heart. Pretending on the outside everything's fine, on the inside everything's not fine. And hypocrisy is one of the hardest things to get into. Often people come into my office and they say, John, I'm fine. I don't have any problems. It's my wife. Fix her. Now you have to understand, when a couple comes into my office, it's always 50% on this side and 50% on this side. It's never different than that. And a husband often will step on the wife's pain and the wife will step on the husband's pain and emotionally will lock a relationship away. And often the hardest kinds of marriages to resolve are the people who say, I don't have a problem. Now all of us live in a sinful world and all of us struggle with issues. And the key is to acknowledge we have issues and instead of pretending we don't have issues acknowledge you do have an issue because if a husband says to his wife I've damaged you haven't I how have I damaged you what can I do to resolve that and you start opening your heart what happens is she'll start opening her heart and you'll start connecting and understanding each other's issues Matthew 15, 8 says, This people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus recognized that the most difficult problem to penetrate is the issue of hypocrisy when we block relationship. What involvement does Satan have in our hearts? In John 13, 2, it says that Satan put in the heart of uh, Judas Iscariot to betray Christ. Satan desires to take our weaknesses, our sin, our emotional pain and use it to destroy us. God's purpose is that we would experience fulfillment and joy in our life responding to him. So Satan can take our weaknesses, our pain issues, our sin issues and seek to control us through that. God desires to use for us to be free from sin issues and resolve emotional pain so that we could come to freedom in him. The wonderful thing is that Jesus cares for each of our hearts. He cares about your heart. 
the ministry name that we chose was Caring for the Heart Ministries. And it's because Jesus understands what you struggle with every day and he cares about that. Did you know that? Did you know Jesus is aware of every issue that you struggle with? And he listens to every prayer. So if you're struggling with something and you're praying and you tell him what that issue is, he listens and he understands. Now as a counselor, I have a responsibility to accept people where they are. It doesn't make any difference if they have emotional pain. It doesn't make any difference if they have sin issues. I have to accept them where they are without judging them. Secondly, I have to seek to understand why are they struggling with sin issues? Why are they struggling with emotional pain? What happened? And so I start asking questions. So if I see a gentleman who has a test score of 95% anger, I want to find out what makes you angry? What happened? If I have a, a wife, for example, who has a depression score of 90%, I want to ask, what issues locked your heart to cause you to be depressed? I want to care about that. So we accept the individual, we seek to understand their pain, and we seek to care about the struggles in their heart. And then I lead him in a prayer to disconnect the problem. And Jesus actually changes the heart. I can't change a person's heart. It doesn't do any good for me to say, why don't you quit being depressed? Why don't you quit being angry? Why don't you quit being anxious? Why are you so fearful? Doesn't do me any good. But when Jesus brings healing to the heart, everything changes inside. Let me use an illustration. A lady <clears throat> was frustrating her husband as they drove for 20 years in their marriage. She would say, the light's turning red. Be careful, there's a car from the left coming. And she constantly was critical and telling her husband how to drive for 20 years. So the husband, wanting to solve his problem in the car or in the van, said, John, could you fix my wife? She drives me crazy, and I can hardly drive when she's in the van. So I said, um, let's look for the cause. Why do you become anxious when you're in the car? And she says, well, you'd be anxious too. Both of my parents were alcoholic. And I was in 23 wrecks in the first 18 years of my life. I said, no wonder she's scared to death. So I led her in a little prayer. It's very simple. Jesus, when I was a girl, both of my parents would be drinking almost every day. And while they drank, they would have accidents and I'd be scared sitting in the car when I was four, five, six, eight years of age. Jesus, can you draw a picture of my heart damaged by my parents? And she saw a word picture of a girl's heart damaged by that fear and anxiety. Jesus, I married a husband who drives properly, but I'm still scared and still anxious. Can you heal my heart from that? How would you do that? And she got a picture of Jesus prompting healing to her heart. Jesus, when I get scared 
driving. Can you make a safe place where I can go whenever I get scared and Jesus prompted a safe place for her? The next day they came to my office and she forgot to tell her husband how to drive. She had so much peace in her heart she didn't even tell him when the lights were turning who was coming from where and a block from the office all of a sudden she realized I forgot to tell my husband how to drive. He was kind of excited. She had lost her fear because Jesus had changed her heart. Now I share that different illustration to help you understand that every anxiety, every fear, every cause of depression, every moral failure, pain that comes from emotional pain can be healed by Jesus. Because Jesus wants to take the pain that we've experienced and bring peace and healing to our hearts. And can I encourage you today, if you're struggling with something, to talk to Jesus, to take your pain to him. I like Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus said, I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest to your souls. If you're struggling, there's rest in Jesus. In John 14, 1, to a troubled heart about the future, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in me. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. To a person who is scared about eternity, Jesus brought peace to their heart. To a fearful heart in John 14, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. I have the privilege of sitting in my office every week, identifying a person's issues emotionally, spiritually, and leading them to Jesus to experience peace. And it's the most wonderful thing I do to see God take a heart that's been depressed for 30 years and heal that heart. To take a heart that's been anxious for years and bring calmness. To take an angry person that's been angry for years and can't get rid of their anger and they lose their anger and there's peace in the place of that anger. It's the most beautiful thing I ever do. How do you develop a proper heart attitude? First of all, we need to recognize that God knows our heart. And in 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. God knows everything about your heart. So if there's fear, depression, uh, sin in your heart, God knows all about it. You don't have to remind him about it. He already knows it. Just remember that. Um, 1 Chronicles 28, 9, the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the imagination of the thoughts. Psalms 44, 21, God knows the secrets of the heart. Jeremiah 12, 3, the Lord knows me. He has seen me, tried my heart. Jeremiah 17, I, the Lord, search the heart. God is more interested in your heart than anything else about you. And he wants to know what's in your heart. Some of you 
are struggling because there's pain in your heart and you need God's peace. Some of you are struggling because there's sin in your heart. You know there's something that you're doing that's wrong and you need cleansing. You need to acknowledge that in your heart. The second is to ask God to reveal what he sees in your heart and he desires to change. Psalms 139, 23, and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. I would encourage you just to ask God, would you show me a picture of my heart? Would you show me the pain in my heart? Proverbs 16, 2, The Lord weighs the heart. Proverbs 21, 2, but the Lord ponders the heart. Luke 16, 15, God knows your heart. The third is to pray that God would reveal things in your heart that do not please him. Uh, Psalms 139 encourages us to let God search our heart and know our heart and identify those issues he wants to cleanse. In Hebrews 4, 12, we're to allow the word of God to penetrate our heart. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. As you read the word of God each day, would you allow the word of God to penetrate in your heart? so that you respond to the truth that's in the Word of God. How can we get inside a person's heart to find out what's inside? I often encourage people to draw a picture of their heart. I've had people draw a picture of a shriveled heart, a prune. Their heart shriveled up. I've had people draw a picture of a shattered heart, shattered with pain that they've experienced. I've had people had hearts that were crushed. An 18-wheeler drove over it and crushed it. I've had people draw hearts of um, stabbed and bleeding. The second question that I'd like to ask is, how far is your heart away from God's heart? In other words, have you separated your heart from Him because of sin or because of emotional pain? How far away is your heart from your spouse's heart? One lady says, my heart is in Australia because of what my husband has did, done to me. A man says, my heart is at the furthest planet because I couldn't stand my wife and the pain she caused me. One lady says, my husband chopped my heart in a hundred pieces and it's in a hundred cities in Europe and no one will ever find it. You know what's unique about all three of these? In five days, those hearts came back because the spouse began to care and understand what was going on with their heart. The third question is, is your heart hiding behind a wall? And you've put up a wall blocking so that others can't hurt you again.
It's interesting, Jesus can heal every heart. Jesus can take down every wall. Jesus can open a heart that's been closed and distanced, and he desires to do that. In caring for the heart, understand that there's three things we want to look for. Sin. If there's sin, we need to acknowledge and confess it. And every sin that's ever been committed is resolvable by confession, acknowledging it before God. Every sin. Secondly, hypocrisy, pretending everything is okay, can be resolved by being honest and transparent with God and with others. The third thing you want to find, and every person has this, it's what I call emotional pain, being neglected, being abandoned, being rejected, being dominated, having perfectionist parents that drive you crazy, or having a perfectionist spouse. These issues emotionally damage the heart, and they're what I call emotional pain. This week we're going to be having 12 of our directors from offices do 24 different seminars, and we'll be talking about all these things in the seminar. But what I've found is that 90% of the time, we marry a worse parent. So if you had a dominant, critical, angry father, you're going to marry a dominant, critical, angry husband. Thanks a lot. And so what we've experienced the first 18 years of our life, now we're going to experience 60 years in that pain. It's interesting, 90% of the time what we react to as adults is tied to childhood pain. So if you were neglected as a child by your parents who didn't take time for you and didn't give you attention, that's what you're going to react to in your marriage. If you reacted to the angry criticism, anger and criticism of your parents, that's what you're going to react to as an adult. Because your heart got locked as a child, and every time that pain repeats itself, it's going to lock your heart again. Now, the wonderful thing is that God can heal each of these issues in our hearts. Whether it's sin that's confessed, hypocrisy leading to transparency, or emotional pain, Jesus desires to care and resolve those issues. I'd like for you, in closing, to ask yourself a question. Have I damaged my spouse emotionally or through an issue in my heart? Is there emotional pain I'm causing? Is there emotional needs that I need to meet in his or her life? Then I'd like to ask you, and I would challenge you, to focus on your own heart and ask the question, what needs to be resolved inside of my heart? Is there sin, emotional pain that I need to resolve? If there's emotional pain, the steps are very simple, Jesus. When I was a child, I experienced, and just tell them, Jesus, what did that do to my heart? And let the Spirit of God prompt a picture or a concept of how your heart was damaged. Jesus, how would you heal my heart from that? I want to be free and responsive. 
If there's a sin, Jesus, I was wrong in getting involved in lust. Jesus, would you forgive me for that? I want to experience freedom from that. Jesus, I want transparency in my relationship with my spouse. I want transparency in my relationship with others. I want to be open. The most important part of who you are is your heart. It's a physical organ. It's inside your body and it keeps you alive. But more than that, it's the center of everything of who you are. Above all that you guard, guard your heart. Because your heart is where everything is going to come from that you'll demonstrate in your life. And I would encourage you to have a right heart relationship with God. Have a right heart relationship with your spouse, with your children, and care about each other's hearts and understand each other's hearts so that we can experience fulfillment in relationship. Let's bow in a word of prayer. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm just going to give you a minute or so, just alone, quiet. If God has spoken to you and you say, John, there's an area of my heart that I need to pray to resolve. There's an emotional pain that I need to experience peace with. There's an area of sin that I need to confess. Just tell God that. He wants to resolve those things in your heart. Maybe you've withdrawn your heart from the Lord because of an issue of pain you've experienced spiritually and you want to resolve that. Uh, maybe there's an issue in your personal life between you and your spouse or you and a son or daughter that needs to be resolved and you want to reopen your heart to them. Just ask God to resolve that pain in your heart and then open your heart to him and to them. Let's pray. Father, we desire to have hearts that are open to you, responsive to you, open to our spouses and responsive to our spouses and to our children. And I pray that you would identify those issues and just search our hearts to find those issues that we need to resolve. And I pray that you would bring peace to each individual heart. If there's one who's struggling with depression or rejection or emotional pain, I pray that you would bring peace to that heart. If there's one that's struggling with a sin issue, I pray that they would be able to identify the cause of that, identify their emotional need, and resolve that issue through repentance and acknowledging that issue. And I pray that you would work in each of our hearts, that our hearts would be right with you, open <clears throat> to respond to you, and open to respond in relationship with each other. Thank you for what you're going to do in Christ's name. Amen.